online, on smart speakers, and on Listen Again. This is Food FM. You're listening to the business of food with Asma Khan. This podcast is brought to you by Distill Ventures. At Distill Ventures, we're always on the hunt for the next great drinks idea. We believe that true brand innovation comes from those who are often overlooked. And with our pre-accelerator, we aim to find those founders. With our pre-accelerator, we're searching for founders from underrepresented communities who need the funding and support to kickstart their vision. To apply to Distill Ventures pre-accelerator or to begin your journey in creating a new drinks idea, head to www.distillventures.com now. You have to use your charm and your passion and your enthusiasm to convince people to to take a punt on you because ultimately that's what they're doing. They're taking a risk on a, on a fledgling business that hasn't necessarily proven itself with an entrepreneur that is pretty inexperienced. Well, today I'm really, really pleased and actually a bit emotional about introducing my next guest because this one, I've actually seen her grow. I've seen her start from nowhere to becoming a superstar. There's something very humbling watching someone transform a business, but stay the same way. So it's a great delight that I'm introducing all of you to Pippa Murray. I will call her Pip because somehow sounding her, calling her Pippa sounds too, too, too grown up. And for me, she will always be this extremely passionate, excited young person who had a dream and then she made the dream come true. Welcome to my show, Pip. Hello, so lovely to have, be on the show with you, Asma. Thank you for inviting me. So the thing is that, you know, of course, I know the entire story because I've seen it happening in front of me. But I, I think the audience would love to know, uh, you know, why did you think that there was any space anywhere on the shelves in anyone's, you know, supermarket shopping list for a new kind of peanut butter? Why did you do this? And I mean, did you actually really believe that this is a product everybody buys and everyone has a favorite, but I'm going to do something so unusual? I mean, what drove you to come up with Pip and Nut? Good question. Um, I think I think sometimes I think sometimes our approach into food and drink has been quite similar, Asma. But when I was starting up uh, the business, or when I first had the idea, just sort of started to kind of brew in my mind. You know, I wasn't working in food and drink at all. I was actually working as a theatre producer at the time, so totally different industry. And I was coming at it very much like as an individual consumer, somebody that was looking for something that couldn't find what I wanted to see in store on shelf. And I think sometimes when you come at things when you don't, when you're not immersed in that world and you're very fresh faced and kind of naive in lots of ways, I think you, I think you see things slightly differently. And I think back then, which was like eight, nine years ago, when I first started to have the idea, when I was sort of shopping as a normal consumer, every single brand that I picked up in this particular space and store always had palm oil in it. They were all super processed. And those that were slightly healthier just were so boring, so worthy. And they made healthy options seem incredibly dull. And I remember thinking this is such an opportunity to bring to life this quite traditional category, which hadn't really had much love in, you know, years and years and years, and actually bring a really fun brand and, and create products, you know, that I really loved, that I would believe other people would really love. And you know, this for me is a, is a product that I eat all the time. I eat our product every single day. I had it this morning on my porridge. And for me, it was something that 
I was doing lots of training and lots of running at the time. So something that is protein rich, naturally good for you, naturally appealed to me as a, as a consumer. And this is why, I, and, and this product itself is so addictive and so delicious. And I love that combination of the fact that it is sort of healthy as well as also being delicious. And I think that's very, you don't find that very often in food and drink where you can get that genuine balance of the two. And it just caught my attention. And I think like a lot of things, when something, when a good idea gets under your skin, it's really hard to let it shift. And it niggled and niggled and niggled for quite a long time before I took some action on it. And I thought, you know what? If I don't do this, someone else will. And if I see someone else do it, I'll be so annoyed. And I thought, oh, I'll give it a go. And I, I, and I, just, and I started as the only way I knew how really which was making it in my kitchen and taking it down to market stores and that's probably about the time that I met you actually right at that early days when I was sort of trying and testing all the different recipes in my kitchen in North London yes. and um, selling them at markets. Yeah and I remember you bringing little jars and I, I ate it with a toothpick in our class <laughs> in, in the back of the class and I would tell you this is so good you're going to become something big one day I can tell you this the products were incredible. But the thing is that, you know, what really impresses me about your story is that, you know, today, if a single female founder had a great idea, you know, she would think, yes, you know, I have Pepe Nut as, you know, someone I can look up to who did this young, never done any food before, you know, not surrounded by men in suits, advising her, no consultants. She went out and she did this. But when you did it, there was nobody like you. Mm. So, I mean, I just am amazed at the courage. And did you at any point think that, you know, this is a really bad idea? Or you were absolutely enthusiastic throughout and thought, this is going to work and I'm going to be brilliant? Yeah, I mean, going back to just your previous point, I am such a believer of, of you can't be what you can't see. And I think being able to see other female leaders do things in, in, in different industries that maybe you wouldn't expect to see them is so powerful for the next generation. And there were a few people that I remember spotting that, that inspired me to get going. Um, Cassandra from Propercorn, who runs a popcorn business, was one of those people for me. And so, yeah, I love the fact that hopefully there'll be another generation of people starting out that might look at you or, or myself and think, you know what, if they can do it, if they can wing it, I can do it as well. But to your point, were there ever moments? I think... I think often when you're starting something up and I, I'm looking back at like the first two years in that startup journey when you're just figuring it out and setting up the product and the business itself, I think that is sometimes the hardest bit because you, you aren't out in the market yet really. You haven't really started to get going and you've got to convince people at every step of the way that your idea is a good one. And I remember meeting, you know, 20, 30 odd different factories who it was very traditional space that is manufacturing, you know, white middle class male, you know, often in, in an industrial state up in the north. Like there is, you know, a, it's a very different world. And I remember going through that process and, and it took about eight months to find a partner to make the recipes like they, I was making in my kitchen at a bigger scale. And I remember until that unlocked for quite a long time, I thought, you know, what, well, I don't think this is going to happen because I can't scale up. And I haven't been able to convince anyone. And I think that two years, basically, in that startup phase, we were kind of figuring out the product development and the branding. And I raised some investment ahead of starting the business as well. I think constant roadblocks and constant kind of wobbles. And I think ultimately what you have to do is break it down as, as simply as you possibly can and be really belligerent and assume that every 
no will eventually lead to, to a yes. And I think it does teach you the art of being quite persuasive and you have to use your charm and your passion and your enthusiasm to convince people to, to take a punt on you because ultimately that's what they're doing. They're taking a risk on a, on a fledgling business that hasn't necessarily proven itself with an entrepreneur that is pretty inexperienced. So if you can master the art of selling yourself at that stage, it like puts you in good stead for later down the line, I think. And you are very convincing. I know this. And, you know, I, I would have, if I had money, I would have invested in you. But you touched <laughs> about funding. And I really need to now raise this because I think this is the biggest problem so many women face and so many men as well who are trying to raise funds. How hard it was that to raise the money for your project? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people don't know this, but I... So I did a crowdfund as our first fundraise. I, I went on Crowdcube, which is an equity crowdfunding site. And it was pretty much my last resort, which they probably won't like me saying that, but um, I raised the money on that platform. So I was very, I'm very grateful for it now. But when I was starting up, I went to countless angel investors to, I was looking at raising about a hundred thousand pounds for the business to you know, get it out the door and pay for the first production and you know, pay for some marketing. And nearly every single investor I spoke to um, said no. And a lot of it, some of them took quite a long time to say no. You'd meet them four, five, six times to kind of persuade and kind of tell your business strategy and your story. Um, and it was incredibly difficult back then. And, and I, I think it's quite hard to have a perspective on like why it was so difficult. Was it my lack of inexperience? Probably. I would have thought that probably put some people off. Or was it the fact I was female or a sole founder? I think it may have been a combination of, the, of, of a few of the things, but I think ultimately you do, when you're raising funds, there is a point where you have to prove yourself, you have to demonstrate whether or not like, you know, your brand and your product works. And I think that's often why the first tranche of capital that you take as an, as an individual, particularly if you've never done it before, can be particularly challenging. And why I often think actually crowdfunding is like a first step if you are looking to get out of the door, particularly as a food and drink product. Um, is often quite a good route because it is ultimately how much risk an individual is, is willing to take on you. And often a crowd is, is, is an easier way to spread that risk across, you know, maybe 80 investors instead of three. So, but I have sub done subsequent fundraisers and each time I still find them incredibly difficult. And um, I, I know some people that really enjoy fundraising. I'm probably not one of those people. I, I genuinely find it um, quite a stressful process, but there is something really exciting about it as well. And I do quite enjoy elements of like pitching and selling the brand um, to people. But it is difficult because you mentioned it earlier. You don't, you know, meet a lot of people, a lot of female investors. Um, the last fundraise I did was through a venture capitalist trust, and I remember during that fundraise I met about 15 different venture capitalists and private equity and only one person around the boardroom table was female in all of those meetings. So I think it's quite difficult. You've obviously got to build a different kind of set of rapport that maybe someone, um, a man might might do. But I think it is ultimately um, difficult to do regardless of whether or not you're male or female. But I think there are certain hurdles that you have to jump over as an individual female founder in particular. No, it, it is absolutely without a doubt, because if it is not that, then if you just look at the data and, and see the kind of the percentage that is invested by venture capitalists in, in female founded businesses, it's only 1%. And I won't bore you with the details of how many it is for women of color. It's really bad. And it is, you know, uh, incredible that, you know, someone like you has done this, you know, on her own 
and made it. But I want to ask you, and this is something that, you know, sometimes I also think about that, you know, how, how I know you've got a brilliant team around you. I've seen all of them. I've spoken to them. So I know that you have the team. Was it hard and difficult to be a sole founder and carry that burden that only you can carry as a founder? Did you never feel that, you know, I wish I had a business partner or somebody else to share the burden with? Or did you think in the end you were better off because you were free to make your own decisions? You didn't need to have to take someone's permission or explain, you know, your intuitions and your instincts? Yeah, I think it, it really is. I can swing between the two. I think if I were to do another business again, I would definitely try to find a co-founder. I think, I think the, oh, but I think it obviously is fraught with lots of like potential flaws. I know people that have had, um, you know, relationships break down and it end badly when it comes to bring, you know, working with a friend or a family member. So it's not always green on the other side. And I think you've got to take that and recognize that. But I do think there is something particularly quite challenging about being a sole founder. I think, if you have a doubt or you want to throw something around in terms of an idea, you don't have someone that has the same level of vested interest in the business to really like, really be able to kind of trust and and kind of be open and honest with. And I think there is, I have a very open um, kind of dialogue with my team and in particular my senior team. And I, I, I think, like to think I give them a lot of ownership and, and autonomy to do their, their jobs because they're brilliant. But I think there's, always that backstop of fundamentally that you're always going to care the most and you'll be the most protective of it and so that does leave you having to often make difficult decisions alone because it is your fundamentally that's your job and i and i swing between the two of it sort of finding it hard but also sometimes liking the simplicity of it and the ability to move quickly because actually you only have one person to make that decision which i think often can be quite helpful for a team to know that they only need to get one answer from one individual and they will hopefully um, know their mind and be able to get that that response to them. So I, I would say for anyone, any people starting out alone, like it's totally possible. And I think sometimes when you start up, you get a lot of people kind of pushing you to get a co-founder and really you should only get one if it feels 100% right. Otherwise you should just keep it to yourself and 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 believe in yourself because I think you can do it and it's more than possible. It's just... It, there are the highs and the lows that you sometimes feel a bit harder when you're by yourself because you maybe don't have someone to kind of go for that, you know, glass of wine or console you in in a way when things are not going quite so well. Yeah, I mean, the thing is that it it was, I, I can, you know, the last year and the pandemic for me as a restauranter was completely shattering. And I did mm. miss not having someone to to speak to and, and, you know, to talk to. And yeah, there was a struggle. But I want to know what happened with y'all over the last year. Were you selling direct? What happened with your sales? I know, I mean, everybody had to change their game over the pandemic. What happened at Pip and Nut over the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, we were really fortunate that I mean, we're a product which is predominantly eaten at home. It's a breakfast product and, you know, you buy it through supermarkets. So naturally, a lot of the channels that we were selling through and um, were, were open, but also people were buying more of it than they would do normally. So we, we had this huge surge in the first few months in particular where our sales just went through the roof. And it was more of a kind of like supply and demand challenge as opposed to necessarily one that was a sales, a sales one. Um, and, and really that has sustained and, and it's only really now in the last couple of months has our rate of sale, you know, started to kind of 
return back to somewhere near where it was before COVID because people's behaviours just hadn't shifted. They were still working at home a lot and shifting a lot. But what was quite interesting is that new channels also did open up. So our direct-to-consumer, our website, um, has now become like our sixth biggest kind of customer, we call it. But, you know, it's our sixth biggest channel. Um, so it's actually, you know, bigger than some of our, you know, national retailers now that we sell through, which is phenomenal, really, because it used to just be like this really tiny channel. And it's great in lots of ways because it allows us to have this kind of direct relationship with our shopper that we've never, ever had before. We've always had to go through, you know, supermarkets to get there. Whereas now we get a lot more kind of we can do a lot more personalization and uh, make that experience really kind of embody our brand. So I, I love that because actually that's one thing that you don't get so much when you're selling through retailers. But yeah, I think it has just been a it has, I think, from a team and a leadership perspective, probably been the, the hardest thing really in the last year and a half. I think um, so having to really step up as a leader, I think, and really make sure that you're visible and, and being reassuring to your team when when the world is upside down and whether your business was, you know, certainly I, I really empathise with what you must have had to go through because you would have had to have shown a strong, a strong outward kind of, you know, being strong for your team when it, perhaps that wasn't always what you were feeling internally. And a similar feeling for me is that, you know, everyone had a hard year, I think in some degrees, some more so than others, but it's sort of managing a, a team's energy and, making sure that they feel secure and safe in their in the, in their role is is such a big kind of it did put a lot of pressure i think on me to to be that that face and but i learned a lot through it and certainly i think my leadership style and ability to kind of um be that leader that i think my team needs me to, to be has has evolved and improved i think over time but it's I am certainly not someone that enjoys sitting at their desk every day. I find it incredibly tedious. So I did find the last year and a half just purely on a personal level quite difficult because you just don't get the same energy and excitement that you get when you're meeting people or working with your team in one room. So I found that sort of fragmented way of us all in our little boxes on Zoom, like quite soul destroying in lots of different ways. But I, I have to, I mean, this is because I, I worked with you on this one. You know, I love the fact you know, in the entire pandemic, you know, you did something so unusual. Uh, I love that you ordered a meal kit from me that was posted out to your entire team who then cooked the food. And I, I know that people shared pictures and all the cooking yeah. that happened and the drama. And then, you know, we had this discussion the next day. And, you know, I have to say, this is, for me, the best kind of leader because you thought of a really interesting idea. You chatted to me and I, you know, we, we sent off these kits. And so it wasn't just the fact that, you know, you sent them something, you send them something that everybody made. And in some ways that was the great leveler. The team effort, the entire team was doing something similar. They had all the same ingredients. They were cooking the something. Then they had things to compare, the food that they made. So most of them did a really good job. And then, 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 you know, they talked about it the next day. And then I, you know, I spoke to them about, you know, my business and we had this chat. And I think that it was incredible because, you know, I, I thought about this a lot. And I'm not just saying this because I've known you from before. I thought this is such an interesting aspect. But, you know, there's a feminine energy, of course, that you get mm. from this brand. And it's not because I know that, you know, it was set up by you. But there is something quite beautiful about how, seeing all these faces and, you know, how they felt about, you know, what they were doing and the enthusiasm. And you could feel the affection 
in you know all these spaces i could see you know obviously virtually and i think that's great because yes i think that you know here this is this was a, a you know a test for all of us on how you lead i mean you did a great job but i think that is a really interesting point because suddenly there was no manual that you could check there was no you know tutorial that we could all check on that you know what do you do when suddenly the lights are switched off and you're sent home how do you motivate how do you keep things together and you know of course with you all you were lucky that you would actually being able to push your sales be very successful so hard when you were in that position where everything stopped like us and yeah. it was then that you know the real challenge for me was not the fact that you know i was due i had to pay rent for a empty venue where i was raising no money or that i had all these costs it was really about how to keep the team together and yeah. that yeah so you know i think that the point you made was is is really interesting that you found in you something new you know your leadership skills and i saw it in in real life and i thought it was you were so impressive and i have yeah. you know seen other people as well you know trying to do different things but i love what you did i love what you did it was probably our highlight of, our, of last year was that talk that you did with us it was absolutely oh no it was this year wasn't it god time is blurred but no no we're all even i'm completely disoriented at time <laughs> but it was like it, it was great and and i think what what did make it particularly great was that we knew each other and i think i think that was something that i took away from your talk but also just generally it's like when as a leader i think you have to be able to show part of yourself and be you know share your experiences as much as you possibly can and be real and i think that conversation that we had together with my team listening was a real kind of opener in terms of into your world but i think into just sharing and being open about my life as well and our experiences together so i think that for me is the key thing is just to never forget yourself in this whole leadership malarkey and remember this you have your own style and that's totally okay and i think it's really important to remind yourself because sometimes you think that you should be more um professional or more like you know classic business person but actually it's not really who you are and that really the more authentic you can be the better i think you're so right i think you're so right and the thing is that unfortunately uh success and power and leadership is seen too much in male terms and mm. this whole idea that you know you are a position of authority whereas i don't think that you know if you are come across as compassionate uh, affectionate you know caring to about your team that you come across as weak but i don't know i've seen so many people and i listen to them and you know and what you did was incredible and you know you've shown yourself you know for what you are and i think that really is i think the way forward and you know in this way you know you're very inspirational because you're highly successful you are very innovative you've come up with interesting you know new products and which my kids love and you know mm -hmm. so i i mean they're completely obsessed with with your stuff and i my son you know who goes to university uh tells me you know oh the good thing is that you know you get the proper peanut butter so i know what he's talking about <laughs> so because he's he moved you know so he he he's not great at shopping but that was always his way of checking that you know which is a good shop to go to to buy stuff is where that. you get yeah where you get your peanut butter he goes there even though it's a longer walk but you know it's just <laughs> it's because you know they can never get the act together to have delivery done which is a normal thing but students can't they have to physically go and do the shopping because they don't know whether they'll be there when the delivery arrives and yeah, uh, so yeah so you know in this kind of chaotic life this was his way of you know stability shopping which is that yeah. you know you check 
you got a pep and nut and then i'll go and do the rest of my shopping there which uh, but of course in the early days he was spoiled by getting samples from you which was uh, yeah so he he kind of feels he's seen this journey too yeah, so have a I lot of that. so have a lot of people online on smart speakers and on listen again this is food fm you're listening to the business of food with asma khan brought to you by distill ventures to apply to distill ventures pre-accelerator or to begin your journey in creating a new drinks idea head to www.distillventures.com now so obviously without giving away anything uh where next what are you which way are you heading what are you going to do next where next so um a big focus for us as a business we're a b corp um which is uh a b corp is a certification that you can um that you can go after as a business uh which looks after the triple bottom line so people planet and profit so as a business you have to kind of constantly think about the environment your team um the communities that you work with and you know your governance structure and it, all of these things come together and if you it's, it really is a standard for like the highest um social and environmental kind of performance as a business as well as also obviously making profit and so B Corp uh, we certified 2 years ago and we recertified next year and at the moment we're working on a lot of how we're going to really start to kind of embed sustainability into our business in a more meaningful and impactful way and so a big part of my thinking and focus is about how do we as a business become you know the leading sustainable nut butter brand in the UK if not the world and so whether that's looking at um things commitments such as net zero we're just completing our carbon footprint at the moment so working on how we can reduce our carbon footprint through lots of different initiatives to looking through our supply chain and then more broadly thinking about how we support our local communities so at, at the moment i'm really thinking about how how we kind of can transform the business to really Im- embed that in every aspect of our way of working which i think is necessary for the future i think you only have to look at the newspapers to realize that climate change is a real thing and we all as businesses have a part to play in ensuring that we clean up after ourselves so i'm really passionate about ensuring that that we as a business are we're not the biggest business that's for sure but we can be a role model and hopefully inspire others to follow suit so um i don't know with cop 26 around the corner i think as a business we're going to start really talking about some of the work that we're doing and hopefully inspire other people to 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 follow so that's a big focus um and then of course new products there's a big one always on the pad so we're looking at all sorts of different things from more things within sort of snacking so we've got our little nut butter cups which were our first kind of snacking product that we launched a year ago um and we're looking at how do we broaden our our footprint there and start to you know enable us to kind of reach more people through um really kind of nutritious and good for you products so yeah those are the two things on my mind at the moment but there's probably about 101 other things i haven't mentioned in that and are you thinking of starting something new or is going to continue to just focus on pippen i know it's a hard question i mean to answer because i i know how you think you know suddenly something gets under your skin and then you're going to be completely obsessed with that So I guess you have to wait till that happens but could you imagine moving on and doing something else a new project I think there's definitely another business in me and I I have ideas every so often but um no intention to kind of jump on them but I I love the food industry and and talking like wider food industry now not just the where I'm in in terms of 
supermarkets and things like that. I, I love making products and I love how food interacts with people's lives. So I know for sure that whatever I do, it will be always within food and drink. But for the time being, eyes on nut, on Pippa Nut for sure. Like I, I, I love what we do and I think we've got so much potential to go, grow and and be a real kind of case study for conscious capitalism and think how as a business we're going to grow and mature it really excites me for the next few years but um yeah I like I said maybe at some point I might divert my attention and start working on something in the background but for the time being I think it's it's all eyes on this particular business and one thing I mean I wanted to know that you know obviously you've had to raise funds uh more than once I mean, I remember your crowdfunding. My God, we were all so super excited when you when you got the amount that you wanted. I, I, I've been reading stuff that you've actually been, you have got investment in recently. Does the investment come with support or is it just money? How are you operating now? I mean, you've got yeah. some new money in. So we, over the course of about, so we've been going for about six, seven years now. So we've raised probably three or four different rounds. But the last round we did was with a venture capitalist trust. So a bit more what they call institutional money. And that was a larger funding round. So it did mean that we had to kind of formalize a little bit of the way of working. So before this, we didn't have a board. We just kind of, you know, went with it, went with the flow. Whereas now we're a little bit more structured in the way that we have to kind of report to our, our, our board. Um, but I actually think the structure's been quite helpful. It's probably the right level. So we have like quarterly board meetings and we meet with them to kind of t- talk about the big things on the pad. And it actually, for me, as the business is now bigger, it, it provides me some moments in time to be able to stop and think and be a bit critical and potentially think about where's next and pull yourself out of the day-to-day. So I think if I'd had a board six years ago, I'd have thought it was an absolute waste of time. And I think it would have been. But now as the business is bigger, it it does give you that structure. But they are actually really as kind of light touch as you possibly can get when it's kind of more formal money like they've given us. And I think that's always the balance to strike with this sort of investment and raising is, is that you find people that have a similar ethos and style as you in terms of way of working, but also that let you carry on making decisions. I I just, I hate the thought or when I speak to other friends in the industry that they've met or taken money from people that are then very onerous and basically direct rather than coach on the sidelines. And I think that's the key thing. And I think, you know, find, spend spend time doing these, these processes. They often, it took me about eight months to raise the money in the end and actually was a really good, good thing it took that long because we found the right people to come on board at that particular moment in time. So yeah, I think it's it's one not, not to do lightly and not to take money too quickly, but it, it they have been and are a really great support to us. Um, and I, I've, I enjoy working with them I, and that's really important for me on a day-to-day basis. You've made a really good point and I hope that those people who are listening, uh, you know, take on that, that, you know, your point about not rushing in for the first offer that you get, don't give up too much equity, don't give up control. Because, you know, I mean, I have been, you know, I have been offered money and, you know, people have wanted shares. And then I didn't give equity. It's painful sometimes, but, you know, it. I'd rather have, wait till actually someone I can work with. And I think, unfortunately, too many, I, yeah, just like you, I've heard too many stories of people who've actually given up control for that little bit of investment and, uh, you know, not being patient. And I love, you know, you what you did. You know, you waited, you know, even to find the factory, you know, didn't lose heart. You continued and you found someone who could make it 
and as well as the investment, you know, in different stages. And uh, this is, you know, the, the great thing that, you know, we all see this product on the shelf. And, you know, it's so admirable to know that, you know, you started this literally blending it in your house. And, uh, you know, this is the Microsoft Apple story that started in a shed. And yours is also one of those, you know, started in your home <laughs> kitchen. <laughs> Almost the, the shed story. And you become uh, someone so remarkable in an industry, you know, in entire food and drink, not just in, in your category of peanut butter. There's the kind of, you feel that, you know, even just looking at the, the bottle, you would be curious to know and the story behind this person because it does stand out. There is mm. a very personal something in that. So, you know, I'm not a kind of big one into branding, but you feel the print of someone in there. You do feel that someone cared a lot about mm. that product. This is not something there, you know, where five people are sat around a table and designed a product. This, there is, there's passion, there's story, there's something, and there's a softness and there's humor in this product. And that yeah. just makes it so remarkable. And, you know, and for anyone who has not tried the peanut butter, my God, you've lost out in life. <laughs> it just starts right away. It's easily available everywhere. And am I right? Is it Selfridges that, that, that where you started from? Yes, or- that was our first customer. Um, so, yeah, I, love, I have particular affectionate, affection for Selfridges. Yes, okay. So, very posh start to... <laughs> to, to your to your to your journey and uh, no but it's great you know I it was very exciting to know that you know they were going to have the product you know we all felt very proud of you uh, about the group of people who actually knew what you were doing and how you started so yeah I mean you're lucky you started with Selfridges but I think that for anyone listening in has an idea has a dream there's a lot of articles and interviews of 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 Pip uh, around you know you know once you hear this, you know, read about her because, you know, and I say this really, uh, you know, very genuinely, there are very few founders who are like her. And in her, I think a lot of you will see yourselves because she has that openness and then she has that strength, which you do need. You need both. You need a soft heart, but you have very sharp, you know, instincts, you know, passion, intelligence to build a product from literally the shed to, to Selfridges and onwards. And thank you so much, Pip, for the time that you've given and also for the years of friendship. And, you know, people My say promise. this, but, you know, people who, you know, become something, you know, very, you know, successful, change. You are still absolutely the same person I met when we sat in the back of a classroom having bottles <laughs> in little bottles, you know, have from the toothpick, the peanut butter and, you know, I, I buy your product, even though there's so much in my house, I cannot pass without picking up a bottle. Out of respect for who you are and how you've made it, with lots of love to you, Pip, and thank you for your time. Thank you, And Asma. go buy her stuff. Go buy her stuff. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you so much. And, and I think ultimately, I think one of the blessings of starting a business is that you do get to make and meet amazing people and I think that was one of the things which I have loved is meeting people like you along the journey and then like you say watch watch people grow and be part of them their story as well so it's a real pleasure and thank you for having me on the show today thank you very much babe bye to find out more about food fm and our content go to foodfmradio.com